was in that coffee. I feel like I just did like an intense cleanse. Oh. Hello? Is being locked in a dungeon part of the audition? I'm here to read for deranged industrials too. I've got my headshot somewhere. This is getting kind of uh, creepy. The big wheel was waiting for Tariq in the hallway, and the tot was immediately afeared as his supple young eyes settled on the tricycle's hard plastic shell. The bright reds, blues, yellows, and blacks of the children's toy-slash-mobility device reflected in his corneas. He stared at this trike, this beast straight from hell, and uttered the fateful words that would be his last. I loved you once. You don't have to do this. You don't! Heedless of the young tot's pleas, the big wheel revved its terrible big wheel, smoke rising from where plastic met carpet, and Tariq said a prayer to whatever god would listen. But there was no god, and the last thing he saw was eleven pounds of child's tricycle racing towards him, and he knew, in his heart, that he was headed to the scariest part of Road Rash Town. The address... 1800 Cemetery Road. Hi, I'm Eric Betcher, and I'm reading for Machete Guy number four. Mm, and what did you think of my evil story? Um, that isn't in the sides I got. Silence, fool! The only side you should be on is the side that enjoys evil stories. Stories written by the master of the macabre Lord Serpent. And that's me! I've lured you here with a cunning ruse. There is no audition, apart from maybe auditioning for the greatest role of your life. Your life? You're going to read one of my evil stories. The one the New Yorker reviewed as, Please stop emailing us. If you perform the story well, I will let you go. If not, <laughs> well, my evil ghouls are always hungry. What say you? Did you say perform? Yes. The role of a lifetime. More like if you don't read the story, I'll feed you to my evil ghouls, but sure. Pass me the script. Excellent. Let me pull up my evil chair. Here's your story. The tale finally answers the age-old question. What would happen if, in man's arrogance, he built a boat out of banana peels? Banana Boat Horatio Ronaldo had long, luscious black curls and deep chocolate eyes that penetrated the soul. Some said he looked like a god, well, some being him. But he knew for a fact that the primitive tribes that resided in the Amazon rainforest feared him as a god. They knew he could do damage, and they revered him for it. Honestly, Horatio Ronaldo didn't much care what the tribespeople thought about him because he didn't care about them at all. He didn't care about their livelihood, or their resources, or their precious trees. He had a business to run. Horatio had just bought the rights to all the banana leather on Earth, which admittedly wasn't much. It had just been invented by this ghoulish little professor at some American Ivy League or another, and he would be the first person to use it. Horatio frankly thought the idea of banana leather was stupid. After all, 
there were perfectly good cows put on this earth for real leather. But he'd been wanting to break into the business of ecotourism for a long time. Sustainability was where all the money was now. It was the last nut of the tourism world he had left to crack. Thus, he found himself paying an inconceivable amount of money for the rights to the banana leather. He would be the first and only person to use banana boats made out of real banana leather on his Amazon River adventure tours. The first shipment was coming in today, and he would be getting it to the manufacturers as soon as possible. He had a very tight schedule to fit. He wanted these banana boats up and running by the first day of the tourist season, and that was only weeks away. Horatio waited now, outside on the small chunked-up strip of concrete that supposedly constituted a runway. He heard airplane noises off in the distance, like a cow bleating for a meal. As he waited outside, he noticed the orange glowing sun was dropping low beneath the horizon, casting shadows on everything around. But the heat and humidity were still holding strong, attacking him like an ant on a sugar cube. Ouch, he said, slapping his neck. A mosquito had needled its way into the tender skin there. He pulled his hand away, and his fingers were covered with the most crimson of liquid, that being blood. Bloody parasites, he seethed. He didn't want to wipe the blood on his clean linen suit he had paid half a million dollars for during a trip to Paris, so he went to where all the palm trees stood. He chose a tree at random and wiped his hand on it. As he was turning around to go back to the tarmac to wait on this inventor, he felt eyes on his back. Someone was watching him. He turned around quickly, hoping to catch them in the act. How dare anyone stare at him? But there was no one there. He whipped to his right, but no one was there either. He looked up and saw a fuzzy black body in the tree. A monkey. He leapt nearly out of his skin and screamed. The thing howled at him. Get out of here, he shouted, pulling a wrapped sphere of double bubble out of his pocket and throwing it at the monkey. If there was one thing that Horatio always had on him, it was bubble gum. And if there was one thing... Horatio Ronaldo hated. It was monkeys. He watched in disgust as the monkey reached its repulsive hand towards the tree, stretching its slender primitive fingers, and scooped it up. Now go, he shouted at the monkey. The monkey tried it off like a hairy goblin. Horatio felt a chill go down his spine. He hated the sight of those things, like fuzzy little skittering cockroaches, and this place was infested with them. I hope you choke on it, you dirty tree rat, he said. But the monkey was out of earshot. He hoped. Those howler monkeys could be anywhere, blending in, up in the canopy, swinging down by their tails, watching. The airplane's groans got louder, and Horatio saw the small yellow Cessna headed right for him. It was time to get that banana leather. The first prototype was done in a week. Horatio had wanted it done in three days, but nobody ever listened to him. His employees, the people he had lured here from their little huts with the promise of $1 a day, refused to work without lunch breaks. So Horatio had to allow it, which extended the timeline. But he had to admit that the work had paid off. Every piece of banana leather was woven together in small little braids. And then those braids were twisted into ever-increasing larger braids of banana peels. They used a large strip to pick up a 10-gallon bucket of water. A successful test. Even Horatio had to admit, this banana leather was quite strong. 
After that test was a success, Horatio instructed the workers to make a 10-foot-long banana boat. They worked tirelessly, braiding and connecting the leather like worker bees churning out the freshest honey for their queen. Finally, the banana boat was ready. It was ugly, sure, but the inventor had said that adding any paint to the banana leather could weigh it down and ruin its flotation properties. Horatio supposed he would have to trust him, and after all, he thought the rugged, authentic look might be okay. This was ecotourism, after all, reserved for wealthy, oat-milk-drinking hippies who liked to appear good and pure while spending thousands and thousands of dollars. He would be inviting seven of his richest friends to try the boat on its maiden voyage. The poor sap Horatio had hired to be the banana boat's captain was sailing the banana boat downstream to the voyage's starting point, closer to a major airport. These eco-tourists didn't want to land their private jets in the middle of a swamp. Horatio was flying. Not only would he have a quicker, more comfortable ride so he could show up looking fresh to welcome his guests, but if the banana boat failed, he wouldn't be there to sink with it. As the lemon-hued Cessna took off into the clouds, he saw his prized Range Rover down below, and surrounding it, 50 howler monkeys screaming into the emptiness. A few leapt up on the hood and began jumping up and down on it as hard as they could. One even took what looked like bubblegum out of its mouth and slammed it against the windshield, where Horatio imagined it would be stuck for a very long time. He screamed down at the monkeys, every hair on his body standing on edge. But the ludicrous creatures didn't hear him. He begged the pilot to fly back down so he could shoot them with the flare gun he'd found under his seat. But the pilot refused. Horatio had no choice but to watch as these little monsters destroyed what he loved most. I'll get you for this, he shouted at them. I'll kill you all. As he flew higher and higher into the sky, the monsters turned into nothing more than small black spots that looked almost like the tips of bananas. It was early afternoon when the world's first banana leather banana boat headed out onto the Amazon. Macaws were squawking, smaller, more normal birds were chirping, and the humidity was at a minimum, more like a hot shower than a suffocating sauna. Horatio's guests were fascinated by the banana boat. I never dreamed I'd be riding in a banana boat made of actual bananas, Samantha Kennedy Rochester III said. Well, this is the future of tourism, Horatio told them, gesturing for all of them to take their seats. A sustainable and ethically made way to travel. We're changing the world. And that part was true. He was changing the world for himself. These people had paid boatloads of money to be on the world's first banana leather banana boat river cruise. Horatio took his seat at the front of the boat, the very tip of the banana, next to the river captain. Horatio couldn't remember the guy's name, but he rode silently and diligently, someone Horatio could really get behind. He found himself glad that the man had made it here in one piece. They moved slowly down the mouth of the river, the clear indigo water moving smoothly beneath them, like a trail of ice. Spring green trees rose up around them, and piranhas with fangs like scalpels slithered under them, appearing and disappearing on either side of the large banana. The morning was quiet and calm, and mostly free of bugs, and even Horatio was enjoying it, until they got about halfway on their journey. They came up to a narrow part of the river, Though the banana-leather banana boat was not that wide, it nearly touched land on both sides. The captain assured Horatio with a silent nod that they would be able to get through. But then something happened. 
a thing of Horatio's nightmares. The large leaves at the tree line were pushed forward, and 50 hairy black howler monkeys clambered out of the jungle. A pack of monkeys! Samantha Kennedy Rochester exclaimed happily. Everyone took out their cameras and began snapping pictures of the cute monkeys. But Horatio knew this was anything but cute. This was an omen. Before he knew it, before he could even think about it, the phalanx of monkeys stampeded towards the boat in a cloud of black and climbed aboard. They took their long monster's fingernails and dug them into the guest's flesh. They slashed and slashed, blood spurting out of wounds all around Horatio, as the guest tried to flail and dodge out of the howler's grasps. Horatio buried his head in his hands, trying not to see what was happening. This was his biggest fear. But how, oh how, could Horatio not have thought about it? A banana boat. Of course the monkeys would find him here. One monkey was on Samantha Kennedy Rochester's head, pulling her hair violently at the roots, searching for bugs. Another guest with three or four names had a monkey on his back. He tried to pry it off, but the monkey just held on with superhuman strength, moving up to the slenderest part of his neck and choking him. He fell in a heap onto the banana boat's surface. Horatio watched the horror unfolding around him. He had to do something, or he would lose all of his money. He grabbed the oar from the captain, who was sitting infuriatingly silent and still, and started hitting the monkeys. He got a few of them, and they flew off the end of his oar, flying through the air with loud squawks and landing in the river. But they just swam back to the boat. There was no way for Horatio to get rid of these monkeys, and there was no escape. They were in the middle of the world's largest river, in the middle of the jungle, and surrounded by monkeys ravenous for human blood. There was no way out but through. But then, just when Horatio was certain things couldn't get any worse, they did. One of the monkeys took its wiry little hand and dug it into the banana leather. It worked the braids apart with its lithe fingers and pulled off a length of banana peel. It put it in its mouth and chewed, sucking out the last of the yellow fruit and grinding its teeth together on the peel. It ate the peel until it disappeared, then went back for more. When the other monkeys saw this, they started doing the same, picking, clawing, destroying the boat. Their only way out of the rainforest was soon to be gone. These monkeys were tearing it apart. No! Horatio shouted, but his screams were drowned out by the yells and cries of his guests, the first guests of the world's first banana leather banana boat, and further drowned out by the mashing and gnawing of monkey fangs on banana peels. All of a sudden, Horatio felt water on the back of his legs, and he knew his spot would be no more in just a few short seconds. He looked down. The azure water was rushing up at him, and beneath where his bottom sat on the last bit of banana leather, he saw a piranha circling. The river was deep here. He didn't know how deep, but he assumed it was over his head, and Horatio had never been a strong swimmer. As he went down, sinking and plunging into the river, he saw one monkey, standing on the tip of the banana boat, staring deeply into his eyes. He had seen these beady eyes before. He had thrown a piece of double bubble right between them. Only Horatio's eyes and nose were above water now. He felt a sharp bite on his lower back and screamed, water flooding into his mouth, throat, and lungs like a dam breaking. Horatio was sucked beneath the river, his own blood swirling crimson all around him from the piranha's gashes. 
the last thing he ever saw was that howler monkey with onyx fur and haunting eyes take a chunk of pink bubblegum out of its mouth and stick it to his dying face. What did you think of my evil banana tail? What? What's wrong? I'm still so scared from it. I'm glad my prophetic prose of pain is having its desired effect. Oh, but now suddenly I remember my first love and how we would braid each other's hair on the dandelion hill. Oh, Oh, you're acting. But wait, there's more. Suddenly, a dark sadness comes over me as I remember when we broke up. (laughs) So my evil story didn't scare you? Oh, it did. (laughs) I'm just trying to show you my range. (sighs) Ghouls, take him away. Ah! Oh! Ow, that hurts! No! I'm not acting! Ouch! Ow! Did I get the part? Oh, well. Maybe my next guest will be... Um... Ghoul, what word am I looking for? (sighs) I'm going to my evil bed. This episode was performed by Eric Thatcher and Lord Serpent. The episode was edited by Stephanie Williams, Michael Morgan, and Lord Serpent. Banana Boat was written by Stacey Milborn and Lord Serpent. It was produced by Stacey Milborn, Charles Brock, and Lord Serpent. Michael Morgan and Lord Serpent were the audio engineers. The music was composed by Charles Brock and Lord Serpent. Tune in next week for even more of my horrific tales of madness and terror. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Lord Serpent's Library and check out my homepage at rss.com slash podcasts slash Lord Serpent's Library.